This episode is brought to you by America World Adoption. They are dedicated to building families according to God's design of adoption while caring for orphans around the world. If you're looking for a Christ-centered adoption agency, America World provides adoption services from China, India, Haiti, and more. They offer full adoption services, including home studies, post-adoption services, adoption coaching and training, and support services. If you're simply looking for ways to fulfill James 127 by caring for orphans, America World can help. They offer ways for everyone to be involved in orphan care, from becoming a prayer champion to going on orphanage mission trips to simply giving your financial support to their orphanage projects. Visit their website at awaa.org to learn more or call 800-429-3369. That's awaa.org or call 800-429-3369. Hello and welcome to Behind the Mic Conversations of Hope. I'm your host, Mike Stone. Today we're talking about infertility. Now, this is something that has affected us personally, and statistics show that one in every 10 couples in the U.S. deals with this on some level. So uh, we've invited some friends of ours, Stephen and Becky Morgan, to join us. Guys, why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'm Stephen Morgan. I am, I'm in my 30s. Um, I am one of the pastors at Finley Evangelical Free Church, and I lead the music and the worship at our church. I am originally from uh, California, the Bay Area to be exact. Go Niners, if I can say that, put a little plug in there for the Niners. Yeah, we're recording this on a Friday night before Super Bowl Sunday. So this is actually going to release on Monday. So. Those listening already know the answer. Yeah. Who won? That's kind of weird. So hopefully they won. <laughs> um, I was born in North Carolina, and then when I was one, my family moved us across the country to the Bay Area in California. Grew up in the church, Christian home with my family. We used to travel the state of California uh, singing, singing at different churches and different retreats and different things like that. Um, so I have a musical background and a background in uh, just doing everything we can for the glory of God. Well, we will we'll touch a little more on your story. Becky, let's hear from you. You're a Californian, Golden State. Yeah, I am. Uh, my name is Becky Morgan, and yep. You grew up in the church? I did. <laughs> yes, I did grow up in the church in L.A. area. Um, and I actually, I met Stephen at Biola University. Um, go Eagles. And yeah, it's kind of how we met. Met at a Bible study. Um, and then short, I don't, we dated for about three and a half years and then we got married. And I moved up to the Bay Area and we did that. And now I'm a character education teacher. And that's it. You guys, um, we, we talked to you early on. In fact, we met in Chipotle really for the first time and mm-hmm. we were in line together. It was clear to me that you guys had adopted. I think it's time. clear to everybody. It is clear to <laughs> everybody. <laughs> but I think some people look it over. I just immediately am drawn to, you know, different colors. And uh, so I was really excited to talk to you more about that. And we did. 
and uh, you guys have a great story to share. So I'm going to actually introduce my wife, and I'll talk for her because she refuses to talk <laughs> on the podcast, which I think she doesn't realize is all audio. <laughs> but uh, we we met many years ago. We had a common love for a group called Petra. Mm-hmm. We and that's really how we found out that we had a, a, a faith background. So we started kind of hanging out together, and her brother was in a Christian rock band at the time. So shout out to Chris Johns, who still plays drums in church. And we uh, we started dating, and early on, I think we talked about it quite a bit before we got married, what we expected for family after we got married. And we both just were fully on board with kids. We wanted We didn't know how many, but we wanted to have kids. And that's what this is about, because I think there are a lot of people out there that are silently struggling with this issue. And it's not something you just, you know, talk about in the grocery store when you see friends. It's something that it's a um, an issue that, you know, even just having that label infertility kind of makes you feel a little less human than you really want to be, you know. And so we want to want to walk alongside those of you that are dealing with this right now. So let's start off by I'm going to share a few stats here just to get us on the on the right path. Uh, so 200,000 cases of infertility in the U.S. each year, 200,000, affects men and women equally, and about 12% of couples, that's about one in eight, are affected. So it's not something that's rare. It's pretty, in fact, uh, the one site that I went to uh, said it's very common, and uh, and that's to some extent. Some are, are quickly resolved through medication and procedures, and some, uh, like our story, were more long-term. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about your expectations for family when you guys got married, kind of what that looked like for you, what you what you were planning, what you were hoping to see happen? Well, Stephen and I always wanted kids. We talked about kids when you were dating. Mm-hmm. And so when we got married, um, you know, I was thinking the first couple of years that we would just kind of you know, enjoy each other before starting a family. Yeah. But um, I did want to be a young mom too. We got married at, at 23. And mm-hmm. so I was hoping, I don't know, probably by like 25, 26, already kind of starting our family. And pro- I, at the time I was thinking like three or four kids, you know, mm-hmm. at some point is what we talked about. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the expectation and what we, or I was hoping for. I think, I mean, Stephen was on board at that. I don't. Were you really vocal about it or you just kind of <laughs> didn't care? I mean, you're, you're in your early 20s. I would say I was probably most vocal about not having more than four. <laughs> <laughs> like, put a um, limit on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I knew, I mean, I was working part time. I had two part time jobs. Mm, yeah. Becky had just gotten a full time job teaching right out of college. Um, so I knew it was going to be, we probably needed to wait a year or two. Um, so that was pretty much mm-hmm. our goal was in the next couple of years. And I think that was similar to us. We, we, again, we didn't really have a number. I don't think, do you remember Did we have a number of kids? I don't think we ever really talked about that. I don't think we did. I think we just, we just wanted kids. Yeah. We, we'd went on a mission trip to El Salvador. It was interesting because, uh, uh, Salvadoran woman down there was pretty young and she had a little infant and she came up to Tammy and she wouldn't let her go. And one of the interpreters said, she's asking you if you'll take her baby. Mm. And you know, that, I think that was probably my first 
touch with reality that we really wanted kids and there were people that couldn't take care of their kids. So why is this so difficult? But that, that was also looking back. That was now I can see now it was a time then God was starting to slowly open my heart up to adoption mm-hmm. because had it not been a legal issue, would have been glad to take that that child home, uh, bring them to the U.S., care for them, give them an education, and keep in touch with that poor woman that mm-hmm. just knew she couldn't give that baby what she mm-hmm. wanted to. So I remember that very distinctly. Uh, like I said, at the time we were going through the, the fertility struggles, uh, which we'll get into because that's a whole nother world out there that we had no clue um, about. But um, we knew that we wanted kids. And I think it was probably after a couple of years that we started kind of st- Maybe just, you know, we were good Christians, so we didn't want to be vocal and negative to God. But I think it was after about two years we were like, God, come on, you know, you put this on our heart. Why is this so hard? Mm -hmm. And I think the longer it went, the more vocal I got (laughs) and the more I realized, God, you already know my heart anyway, so I'm just going to say it. But that that was a difficult thing for us. And um, it was funny that you were mentioning that because we had we took a mission trip right after we got married. I think we celebrated our first year anniversary in Guatemala wow. really? on a mission trip. And we took a right next door where we were staying. There was a, an orphanage wow. that we we were talked to by the staff with because we had like 20 high school kids. And they're like, only go in if you can handle this mm-hmm. because what you're about to see is pretty brutal. And it was just babies that were being dropped off at the doorsteps uh, because... They could either couldn't take care of them or who knows what was going on. Right. Um, but they would just, every day they'd open up the door and there'd be another baby there. And so we just went in there to hold the babies and be with them and love on them. And I think you were mentioning that. And I think that was, I don't know if that was for you, but it is definitely more of like a reality wake up call in the sense of there's more to life than just the glamour of being in America and mm-hmm. we having every, everything handed to us and being able to do whatever you want at any time. And there's people hurting, not just people my age or older people, but there's babies that, I mean, it's probably the first time I really ever really thought about babies being dropped off at a doorstep. Yeah. And so whether or not I thought about adoption at that point, it was definitely like a, started my thinking process of God working on my heart, I guess, in that sense. Yeah. I think looking back in all of our lives, we see God's hand laying foundations for things further on that we never even thought about at the time. Mm -hmm. But um, I know for me, that was an impactful moment in El Salvador as well. So you guys have been married about a year at that time. You Mm -hmm. celebrated your anniversary there. Mm -hmm. So were you, did you know at that time that you had fertility issues? I think about two or three years, maybe we started noticing that it wasn't coming as easy as we had seen other families. Um, But it took about four years for us to actually like go to the doctor and do anything about it. Because at the time, uh, Stephen was still working two two part-time jobs. Um, You know, we were trying to find a full-time pastor position you know, at some point. And so the fact that we weren't getting pregnant, we thought was just kind of God 
uh, taking care of, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Maybe we just weren't the, ready yet. Yeah. In a sense. yeah. Maybe yeah, right. we just yeah. weren't ready. Yeah. So then when that, um, position became available and he was working full time and we were in a, you know, more stable situation and it still wasn't happening. Then we just decided to go yeah, to the That was doctor. probably about year three. It was year four. Year four. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Then we went to, to the doctor for the first step. And I don't know if for you guys or not, we went about, it was early for us and, and we were pretty young at the time. So it's probably a blessing in disguise at that point, but it was maybe 18 months into our marriage. I think it was about a year because okay. I remember the doctor saying, once you're not able to conceive after a year, then that's the point in time that you need to start mm -hmm. looking into. Yeah, I, I do remember that as well. And um, and I also remember sitting there when she said that, and I'm going, wow, it starts to play with your mind. Mm -hmm. And immediately, I don't even I know if I ever told you this, but I thought immediately at that point, I remember thinking, I hope it's not me, which basically was saying, I hope it's her, not mm -hmm. me. You know, I didn't want to take the blame for that. So I remember that diagnosis and just feeling like we had this big label stuck on us now. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. Um, do you guys remember what it was like when you found out what your emotions were or even just kind of like reality sunk in? It had been four years. Mm -hmm. You guys did life together for four years. Um, but then all of a sudden you got this diagnosis that, like I said, you don't really go mm -hmm. around telling people about. Mm -hmm. I remember like? me personally, my view was more like, well, at least I know, or at least we know what's going on um and i was still very hopeful of understanding you know a god is a big god and there's always going to be obstacles in the way or whatever and god can still do this if he wants to um i don't me personally i wasn't I was sad, obviously, but, and I was sad for our situation and sad for Becky and, um, but I was still hopeful, mm -hmm. I think at that point. Um, I remember I went to the doctor, um, alone cause it was just like for, you know, checkup or whatever. And I had mentioned it to the doctor and she was the one who labeled it. Um, infertility at that moment because of how long it had been. And so, um, it was, it was hard. It was devastating. Um, and I remember just that word I felt like was really difficult to take and hearing it from a doctor, knowing that it's, you know, official. I think I was always kind of living in my own little world that it just wasn't the Lord's timing yet. And just, right. you know, and which is true. It wasn't the Lord's timing, but I guess putting a label on it was something that made it even trickier and going home from that doctor's appointment and telling Stephen, like, this is, this is probably a little more serious than we've been taking it. And so they, um, from that doctor's appointment, she did set me up with, um, the next step for like infertility. And so we had to go to a class and do all of these things. And I remember feeling overwhelmed by the next steps and what she was, you know, mm -hmm saying and just kind of I don't know kind of 
I remember going kind of through a grieving process of realizing, okay, it's official. Um, this is going to be difficult and we have to go through extra steps that other families don't necessarily have to go through. And so I went through a lot of anger and sadness and denial and all of this stuff that goes with those yeah. grieving steps. Mm -hmm. But Stephen was really helpful in that process because he was super hopeful and just very, I don't know, and just handled it. I don't know, really well. So it was easy for me to depend on him and count on him to help get through mm -hmm. kind of the darkness of what I was going through. I think we definitely were at different stages at different times, and mm -hmm. I think that God did that for a reason. Sure. So we could be there for one another for that stage that we were in. So, Because I definitely had a harder time later on talking about the process and all the medical stuff that could mm -hmm. happen. I, was, I just was not... I was having a hard time with that conversation, but you know, and I, and I've heard uh, through our situation, somebody once said fertility, the infertility issues are either going to draw you closer together or they're going to tear you apart. Mm -hmm. And and we've seen that with friends that it has done one or the other for us. We're fortunate that it drew us closer mm -hmm. together. And, um, and, and I know it did for you guys as well, but yeah. not everybody has that support. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're out there listening right now and you're going, you know, both of us are not on board, we're not on the same page. Um, you know, Stephen, you said God, well, we know God has a plan, but you said you trusted that, mm -hmm. you, you trusted in his plan. And, um, you know, we'll talk about a little bit about adoption later too. Uh, and that's kind of the same way. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's rare that both spouses are on the same page when it comes to adoption as well. So, um, Tammy, I know we spent a lot of, seemed like month after month after month we spent our fair amount of time on the couch just kind of crying um what was that experience for you if you can look back it's hard now our our kids are now 15 and 17 so <laughs> it seems like an eternity ago but what what do you recall about that time in particular that we realized that like becky said this is our new reality we ended up dealing with infertility for 15 years mm -hmm. so we had a lot of time to experience a lot of emotion mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> um, I think the different steps created different emotions as far as I think at first I felt like um, you know I was still pretty young very naive and I just thought, okay, they said it's infertility, but they're doctors, so they'll figure it out and they'll fix it. And things continued and that didn't. And so then we progressed into um, going to an infertility specialist, which then brought on several other different emotions and um, failed attempts. And so, yeah, we did spend a lot of time trying to figure out really what God was up to um, because so many people around us were starting their families and we had been married, you know, eventually 15 years. And so. Yeah, we have, um, we have most of our friends are grandparents now. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, but you know, I will have to say for those of you that feel that way too, I have to say I'm, I'm loving life right now. I love where our kids are at and my age and, and, um, I love the fact that I have hopefully a little bit more wisdom than I would have had 15 years ago, um, raising them. But, uh, I also, uh, I know it was God's time. I know it was God's timing. So, um, when, when we all got to that point, do you guys remember, what options you gave yourselves or did you limit yourselves in anything at all? I don't think we had talked about adoption yet at that point. Right. We can, we kind of had always talked about adoption in the sense that when we were in college, we kind of talked about it. When we went on that mission trip Mm -hmm. to Guatemala, we kind of talked about it. But I think in that, we were very focused on this particular focused on what we can do next to help make this happen in a sense. Um, and so, well, you remember the class that we took. <laughs> I don't remember the class that we took. So Becky can elaborate on that, I guess. But And this was an infertility class specific, yes. Sp- yes. specifically recommended to you guys. It's yeah, the next it's, step. it's what you had to do in order to meet with a doctor. Oh, okay. So it was All the right. first kind of step and you uh we were in there with several different couples and somebody would just come in and they would talk to you about um like what infertility looks like what what should be the next step for everybody um you know what the definitions of you know IUIs and IVFs and all of that was what it would cost and then they did offer um I remember talking to Stephen about this they offered like marital counseling because they realized that it was hurting a lot of marriages going through infertility. And I remember being thankful that it had drawn us closer at that point. So, uh, so from that point, you guys went to the first step, Mm -hmm. which was what? We met with a doctor Mm -hmm. and, um, they said to us that they wanted to do an IUI and they wanted to do the IUI about three times before they went any to any other step. Mm -hmm. There was a lawyer, right? A lawyer in the meeting with us, making sure that we understood exactly what that meant, and having multiples and all of that, and that we signed over like consent and all of that, which is very legal, yeah, ish. I don't know, but that's what that was about. And this is where I started getting weird. (laughs) I was going to say you you both were on board with this or no? I had a really hard time with the medical medical aspect of it of taking mm-hmm. I felt like it was taking it out of God's hands right by doing, going through this process right um, he was doing it for me because I, I wanted to sure do it um, I knew I was gonna hold firm to not doing in vitro I just didn't feel comfortable with it partially because I didn't know it well enough either um, I I just yeah I didn't feel comfortable with it and so we had a few <laughs> heated discussions arguments if you will about how to proceed um, if that if this didn't work um, and how many times we would do it after the fact if it right. didn't work the first time yeah um, so you can yeah. see at this point that it it is a, a cause for division in a marriage when you mm-hmm. start walking through this and you're not always going to be wanting to make the same decisions, you can see as you go through this how it can either tear you apart or right mm-hmm. close together. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think we went through the same, kind of the same steps. We didn't have the classes, but again, this was back in the 1900s. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
we but we went through that as well and what we found out at the time and i, I want to preface all of this by saying our opinions are our mm-hmm. opinions um, i think it's important for us to make sure that you all understand who are listening that because we didn't feel led to do something doesn't mean you should feel guilty i think yeah. you really need you really need to seek god's direction for what your uh, what his plan is for you um because we don't all agree on scripture and um so this is one of those things that is just we, we're not condemning anyone that has either chosen this or is in a situation to choose so we'll just preface that with this but we we found very quickly with ours that we were kind of comfortable saying let's just keep doing this until it works mm-hmm. and we quickly found that our fertility clinic was more concerned about their numbers which would help their the marketing side of things so they didn't want to see this one couple that went through this thing 50 times before they were successful because it brought their numbers down they want their numbers to be really high so that it would entice more couples with infertility to go there so it, it is also from that aspect of business mm-hmm. and we quickly learned that they they weren't willing to go any further than what they wanted to go um, so and I think really for us that was a good thing because it helped us to, to draw the lines quicker. Do you want to talk to that? I know we had conversations about, uh, we had about an hour and a half drive to and from every time we went to these appointments and did procedures. Well, I think we both were pretty certain at the beginning stages that um, our first steps were definitely going to work. <laughs> so I think when it came to, okay, our three times didn't work, um, that's when the hard, hard questions had to be answered. Um, that was when the next step would have been putting eight to ten fertilized eggs. Um, and hoping they would implant. Right. And But they said, I probably should only carry two. So our question was, what happens to the others? And at that time, they just said they would be selectively removed. And that's where we became uncomfortable and just didn't want to to do that. That was, again, where their numbers came into play because we asked if they would just put in two, Mm -hmm. and they refused to do that. So that's when we decided that was kind of be where our journey ended medically yeah medically yeah we we did make that decision um which was hard because we knew we had about a two percent chance of ever having kids naturally but we also felt that god would honor our decision and we would just wait and see yeah so what's the next step for for you guys about three months after doing the iui it did not take um And that was really, really difficult. I did have expectations that the first go was going to be successful. And so I was in a really, I don't know, in a really hard spot and really questioning too what the Lord had for us and why he had this particular thing for us. And um, I don't know, kind of throwing a little bit of a fit with him about how life's not fair and how come. Yeah, right. Um, and then I was in an accident, in a car accident, and I had um, fractured my lower spine 
And I remember talking to the doctor about, you know, how we were trying to have it, you know, have a baby. And he said, you really shouldn't, your back needs to heal. And so, um, I said, okay, but for how long? Cause at this point we, we're right in the middle, like the heat of yeah, it. Yeah. We've and really sure. been trying mm-hmm. and he's like, I, you know, six to nine months would be the earliest, but I would really prefer for you to wait a year and just really let it heal. Otherwise you could have back problems for, wow. you know, indefinitely. And, um, that was really tough too. Cause I, I really felt the Lord just taking more things away, you know, cause we yeah. had been, you know, I don't know, seeking answers to this and, and do it, you know, so Yep. So then we had that time to kind of go through it. And at first I didn't love it. And then shortly into it, I did love it because (laughs) just that pressure was off (laughs) that. Yeah. Right. Right. Like for the first time in a long time, about four or five years, we weren't talking about it so much anymore. And we kind of just got to, I don't know, be ourselves and be at a standstill. Well, and that brings up a good point, too, because we went through very similar uh, feelings. And um, we talked a little bit offline of how, you know, this thing that God created for marriage is supposed to be that one intimate connection. And pretty soon it becomes scientific and it becomes mm-hmm. um, I don't know, mechanical and, and mm-hmm. just I don't know what you want to call it. And you kind of almost lose that touch, too. So having a year just to go it doesn't even mm-hmm. help to think about it so mm-hmm. you can kind of wipe that off the slate for a while I had to feel pretty good yeah it did yeah well i think on top of what you're feeling is also a lot of times people don't understand why you're not having kids mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and the comments mm-hmm. that sometimes you get <laughs> can be a little hard because you try to answer them without hurting without making the other person feel bad because they don't know what you're going through um but the you saying that the um pressure was off you know when so many times we were told oh just relax right (laughs) right (laughs) like trust me after 15 years there had to have been a month that we relaxed you know (laughs) yes um that Uh and um i did have the biological time clock Mm -hmm. i needed to be paying attention to because it was ticking and that was a hard one because i was Mm -hmm. standing with a friend who knew what was going on and you know i tried just to I still don't. I don't know that she even knows to this day that we were having fertility problems. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's so hard because you're not only trying to keep your emotions in check, but then you kind of take on mm-hmm. how other people are feeling by the comments that they make. Mm-hmm. You try mm-hmm. to make them feel better. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, I remember that. Yeah. I remember when people would say, well, "Just stop trying, and then it will happen for you." Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That didn't work out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's still has not worked out for us. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point, though, because I, I do know that when, when people are aware of that, and, and to be perfectly honest, being in the church, you know, pretty much our whole church knew because it had gone on for so long that they were praying for mm-hmm. us. Sunday nights was usually a prayer service, so we were always at the altar, and, and people were praying for us, and, and you know, we had some 
you know, people that were giving prophetic words and, and, you know, you were like, oh, wow, this is going to work now. And when it didn't, then you, you weren't even sure how to feel about that. But I think it's important to realize that a lot of those times when people said the wrong thing, they were just trying to help. And, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you mm-hmm. don't, unless you're going through it, you don't really know what to say. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that aren't dealing with this and are listening, you know, um, I think it, I think it's important to just show support and, mm-hmm. you know, pray for them and let them know you're praying. And, and I don't know if you guys any, have any advice to that, but I think um, a lot of times it was people just trying to help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it is difficult because you don't really know what to say. So you guys came to that, uh, the end of that year, mm-hmm. what did that look like? Now it's time to start worrying again, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're not worrying, but well, I think at that <laughs> point we knew we didn't want to go back mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to that again. Um, so we were kind of just now working on contentment in a sense or just, yeah, just allowing God to, not that we weren't relying on God before, but it's just definitely more of like, okay, God, <laughs> We get it, like what, whatever you want to do, um, just get us to that point of where you want us to be. So, I remember it was a huge year for me in uh, scripture and realizing that I needed to trust the Lord and the scripture about he knows our heart's desires and, mm-hmm. and that and, and praying that um, he would if my heart's desire wasn't in the right place, that he would change it to be in the place that he wanted it. And motherhood never left my heart's desire. Um, How that would look started changing, I think, in that. Um, But also in contentment. And I had Mm -hmm. to really say to the Lord that I would love and follow the Lord even if he didn't bring children into our lives, that I was going to be a follower regardless of what he um, gave and what he took. And, um, that took me a while to get there. But mm-hmm. at the end of the year, I felt like I could say, I love God no matter what. And so if that means I'm not a mom, that's okay. I'm willing to follow him. And, uh, he gave me, you know, so much other, so many other blessings that I was grateful for. So it was hard to get there. It was not easy. It was, it was painful, but when I got there and just feeling that contentment was good. I think that's for anything. Um, you know, there are things that, that we feel like God is leading us to. And when it's not happening, you get to that point where you've done everything you can do mm-hmm. and you almost just have to surrender to him. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, through our situation, um, that was really where I needed to be. I think God wanted me just to surrender the whole thing to him. And we were trusting in him. We were believing for him to answer our prayers. But I think until we got to that same moment, there wasn't really full surrender. Just mm-hmm. going, God, like you said, I'm gonna serve you regardless. Um, and I'm just gonna trust that you got this from here on, mm-hmm. I'm done. And kind of resolved to just, you know, keep moving forward. And you guys did. Um, yeah, I remember just reading through Psalms, like every day, just, Remember 37 and Psalm 40 and even 139 of just, um, I think even through Proverbs too, um, and just trying to fully rely on Scripture even more and being uh, um, reliant on what God was doing and Him speaking through His Word uh, to encourage us and to um, get us to where we needed to be. 
remembering his truth and his promises. So, yeah. So for us about that time, I was, I was about to graduate from Bible college. And, um, at that time also (laughs) got to a point where I realized I wasn't called, I was in Bible college with a pastoral ministry degree and realized I wasn't going to be a pastor. So we kind of had that on us. We were we were out of state. You know, we weren't around family. The whole infertility thing, it was just all crashing down. And I do remember just coming to a point where I said, I'm done trying to make this work on my own. And it was at that point, and maybe you can touch on kind of how God started revealing the option for adoption, which was really... Um, kind of brought us full circle i think was it your mom who had thrown out adoption here and there throughout the years and Mm -hmm. um i just never even entertained the thought um just seemed like a plan b it seemed like that's not the way you're supposed to grow your family everybody else is getting it done the right way um, why shouldn't we be able to? I think we were really kind of working through that. So at the time, Mike had a friend who had already graduated, and they were back at their home church, and he was a youth pastor. And one of their um, youth, well, actually um, a couple in their youth, had she had gotten pregnant, and they she and her mom had decided that they were going to give the child up for adoption. Our friends immediately thought of us and called us, asked us if we would be interested. They said, you know, we'd have to move kind of quickly. So we hopped on a flight and went and met the girl and her mother. And it seems like it was a done deal. Um, but a few weeks later, we hadn't heard anything and found out that she had chosen someone else to give her baby to. So I think that was at that point where I felt like, that's it, I am completely done. Um, We will be old, and we will be put in the nursing home (laughs) because nobody will take care of us. (laughs) Well, that was actually a call. I I called and we had agreed. I I was not working that day and you were at work uh, at the Bible college and uh, decided that we would call them and just check in. And so I called and and their daughter, who was about five at the time, answered the phone. And I was just having this little conversation with this five-year-old. And I said, is your mom or dad home? And she said, yeah. And I heard her put the phone down. And then just a minute later, just a moment later, I heard her pick the phone back up and she said, oh, I'm sorry you didn't get your baby. And it was Mm. just like my heart stopped. And immediately her mom grabbed the phone and said, Mike, I'm sorry you had to hear it that way. And it was after that phone call that I literally was, I just dropped to my knees in the living room and just started sobbing because I was at the end of my rope. Mm. I just felt like Uh, I have to be honest. I said, you know, God, you've led us here and we've trusted you and we've tried to do everything to serve you. And this is what you've done to us. And I I knew that was on my heart. So I wasn't afraid to share that with him. But that was kind of my point where I just said, it's all in your hands now. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a rough way. Mm -hmm. But um, but I needed to be there. And God knew that. Mm 
And I think, too, that was our really first major moments of being open to adoption because it was from that point that we started to decide if we do this again <laughs> after we had our little fits to God um, what direction would we want to go if mm-hmm. we did adopt Yeah. so it was when we look back at 15 years of infertility it has nothing but the fingerprints of God all over it yeah well, we've got more to talk about, but we're going to stop here. And next time, we'll pick up where Stephen and Becky share their adoption story as well. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We encourage you to subscribe, to rate this podcast, and also tell your friends and let them know that there is hope through infertility. And we hope that this encourages you to know that God has a plan for your life. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>